Welcome back to the Hikes Peak Podcast. Thank you for coming back to the mountain. An incredibly special episode today as I spent the last four days in Las Vegas for the Mountain West Media Days. It was an unbelievable experience and I'm going to tell you all about it from insane chance encounters to breakdowns and impressions of every player and coach at the event. Keep listening to find out everything I learned. Let's get right into it. So I flew out of New Jersey at 10 in the morning arrived in Vegas at 12 p.m. because of the time change and I checked into my hotel everything was cool got in the elevator there's these two guys in there I didn't really think anything of it I get out on my floor and the door closes and then it clicks in my head that one of the people in the elevator had a diamond DB necklace well obviously I was in the elevator with Doug Brumfield and Naki Fahina the two players representing UNLV at the Mountain West Media Days so that was a great start to my journalistic career. I tweeted something about it and then Brumfield liked it on Twitter so that made me feel a little bit better about it to be continued on that. So the first day of the event started with breakfast at 7.30 in the morning. I got down there right as it started and I got checked in. I got some free Mountain West 25th anniversary stuff that was really cool. So I got my plate together for breakfast. I put it down at an empty table. I realized I didn't have any silverware so I got up, grabbed that real quick and then I sit back down and the only other person sitting at my table now is Thor Pagley along the Air Force Center who has just been named to the All Mountain West preseason first team approximately seven minutes ago. I ate in silence slash terror for a couple of minutes before I eventually got up the nerve to ask Thor if he knew that he had been named to the All Mountain West first team earlier in the morning and he actually didn't know so that was pretty cool. I got to break the news to him. We talked for a couple minutes and and eventually he had to leave to take some pictures for Fox, but that was an amazing first experience of the day. This is a perfect segue into the official Mountain West team standings and awards, which we'll go over very quickly. On the offensive side, they had Chevin Cordiero at quarterback. The running backs were John Lee Eldridge III and George Halani. Wide receivers Tory Horton and Justin Lockhart. Tight end Mark Redman. Offensive lineman Thor Pagley along Cade Bennett, Cade Beresford, Mose Vavao, and Frank Crum. On on the defensive side, defensive linemen, there was five of them, Peyton Zadroyak, Mohamed Kamara, Devo Bridges, Jordan Bertignoli, and Devon Harris. Linebackers, DJ Schramm, Cody Moon, and Easton Gibbs. And defensive backs, Trey Taylor, Jack Howell, Cam Stone, and Ike Larson. If you're wondering why Cam Lockridge isn't on this list at any point, it's because he wasn't nominated by Fresno State. For the special teams at punter, Jack Browning, at kicker, John Hoyland, or punt returner, to Horton and kick returner Christian Washington. The official offensive player of the year went to Chevin Cordiero and the official defensive player of the year for the preseason went to Easton Gibbs. Special teams preseason player of the year goes to Jack Browning. And the official preseason standings Boise State at one with 28 first place votes. Second is Air Force with two first place votes. Fresno State at three with five first place votes. San Diego State at four with one first place vote. San Jose State at 5, Wyoming at 6, Colorado State at 7, Utah State at 8, UNLV at 9, and they also got a first place vote, Hawaii at 10, Nevada at 11, and New Mexico at 12. I actually ended up eating breakfast with four more players that I didn't get to introduce myself to because I was still kind of shocked about how everybody was kind of just mingling already. So I was sitting with Mark Redmond, Sedarius Barfield, Logan Taylor, and Aliki Tanuvasa, who were all very 
clearly friendly with each other i know that the conference put together a party for them in the day before so they got to hang out during then but still it was really impressive to see how all of these guys were rivals but they were all still very cordial with each other it was very cool to see i had some time to kill before the interview starts so i did some exploring i ran into the helmet spread which is just two long tables with every single team's helmet on it it's pretty cool and who else was there but doug brumfield and naki fahina so i introduced myself as the guy from the elevator doug laughed and said he talked to his dad about that after seeing his tweet so that was pretty cool they were both super friendly and i got to talk to them for a little bit but after a while naki sighed and said man we're on our home turf and they forgot our helmet. All the helmets, except UNLV, were on the table. They had two different Mountain West 25th anniversary helmets, but no Rubbles helmet. We laughed about it, and I said I'll look around for an extra. I tweeted something about the mishap, and I came back 10 minutes later, and the helmet was there. So I don't know if somebody overheard us talking, or if somebody saw my tweet. Who knows? Ooh. But finally, it was time to interview some players. The first interview I got to do was Nevada's Jaden Deadman in his sixth year he fought through injuries his first four seasons and started every game at corner last year 50 tackles a sack and eight deflections which was second on the team was super nice saw him a few more times that day and he said hello every single time that shows you the kind of person he is one thing i asked him was about the advantages of being a sixth year player here's what he said about what he's learned over the years honestly i just feel like i need to improve on more of uh into the football game like you know knowing what's going to happen was coming. I feel like through the years I've got the experience and I've started to learn. And last year was my stepping stone, you know, so this year I feel like it's going to be a good and really good to break out in because I know like the game now and I understand the process and understand what's going to come to me. I also was wondering about if he had ever considered the transfer portal. Nowadays, it's never been easier for a veteran on the rise to leave for a Power 5 conference. For Jaden, the thought never crossed his mind. Honestly, I've never had the thought to leave to Nevada, you know, because they were the first school that offered me. And also, like, you know, through everything I've been through there, you know, trials and tribulations with different coaches, different position coaches, and, you know, having a new head coach. It's just everything I just felt like was happening for a reason. And then when Coach Wilson came in, it was just, more it felt like home like it's made everything better for me and the process was a lot easier for me to continue to be there deadman is one of those classic mountain west corners undersized but a heck of a playmaker expect another great year from him the other player nevada sent was kicker brandon talton he's a four-year starter at that spot and has 68 field goals in his career more on that in a bit he struggled a bit with extra points the last two years only at 93.2 percent but a lot of that can be chalked up to injuries he's also hit five field goals from at least 50 yards out here's Brandon on what he focused on this offseason in this offseason for me I just try to get like healthier take care of my body better and get stronger in the weight room really I worked on kicking obviously a good amount but like for the most part I was just working on making my body healthy. as I alluded to before Brandon is actually the all-time Mountain West leader in field goals made I had to ask him about when he broke the record and what it means to him to have that title I think it's pretty cool, I mean, especially because I didn't even know I was going to be until it, like, happened. It's kind of something that happened out of nowhere. I didn't know I was anywhere in the realm of being the holder. And then when I broke my collarbone, I, someday I just ended up looking at the records, and I was tied with the record at the time. And I was obviously hurt, so I couldn't go back and, and beat them in the, in the whatever. But when I came back and I beat them, it was a good feeling, obviously. But I didn't know until it was, like, 
about to happen. Brandon was also a really nice guy, and I hope he makes his record even more impressive this year. Only 20 kickers have ever made 80 field goals, so watch out for that. The next team I got to talk to was the representatives from Wyoming. I first went to Easton Gibbs, one of the best linebackers in the country. He was second in the conference in tackles as a sophomore and was rightfully named the preseason defensive player of the year. My first question had to be about his feelings about the award. It's definitely a cool honor. Not really what, you know, focused on. It's cool to get voted. But yeah, just focusing on kind of, you know, wins and kind of the postseason stuff. You know, we want to be good as a team and cool getting recognized, but kind of just ready to kind of start the year. Gibbs has had his name mentioned in the pantheon of legendary Cowboy linebackers, most recently Logan Wilson and Chad Muma. I asked him how it feels to be in that class. It's an honor to be even mentioned in the same sense as those guys. You know, they both had amazing careers and are still having amazing careers. So just kind of to be in the same same. One more thing I wanted to pick his brain on was the running backs on the team. Here he is on what he's seen from that group so far. You guys saw a little bit of Dwan and DQ last year. And those are two really dynamic guys that are very different from one another, but really dynamic. You know, they both had, had good off seasons and I'm excited to see them. And then having Harrison come in too, he's a different different type of back than both of them too. So definitely interesting to see different styles of runners, but I think it gives their offense definitely a more dynamic look. Easton was great to talk to. He'll certainly be one of the best players in the conference and a name that should appear on draft boards. Talk to the Cowboys quarterback Andrew Peasley next. After transferring here from Utah State, he was solid in his first year as a full-time starter, earning an All-Mountain West honorable mention. My first question for him was about what he focused on during the offseason. Here's what he said. Well, for me, it's getting my body stronger and my arm strength stronger, so a lot of core and uh, shoulder work. I also asked him what his goals for his final collegiate season are, and here's what he said. My individual goal is my completion percentage is getting above 60%. If I could do that, then that'll benefit the team to help win. I think that's like mandatory for me to do if we want to be really successful. And I want to win a championship. Peasley is a capable dual threat, and if he can bring his completion rate up to 60% like he hopes to, then the Cowboys could have one of the best offenses in the conference. I wish him all the luck in the world this season. The last team I had the chance to interview was San Diego State. First, I talked to Sidarius Barfield, who has started 16 games over the last two years. He's a speedy safety that racked up 49 tackles and an interception over 10 games last year. One thing he talked about was how the more he's played, the more he's realized the importance of durability. I would say probably the importance of taking care of my body. That was one thing and kind of when I was a little younger, I'll get kind of banged up a little bit, so that kind of held me back from, I felt like being the best player I could be. And another thing is really film study. I've came to love it now. Before, I would like it, you know what I'm saying? I would go in every now and then, watch it, maybe if the coach suggested, but nowadays I watch it every single day, and that's something that kind of people kind of sleep on a little bit, you know, really looking at formations, looking at splits and all this type of stuff that really does make an impact when you go out there. Because I know that people say it is an instinct and you want to play fast, but you can't really play fast if you don't know what they're doing. Sedarius also made it a point to shout out the depth of the secondary. I had originally asked how he leads a group with mostly younger guys, but he pushed back. Here's what he said. 
A lot of people don't know is we might be young and kind of years in the secondary, but that's going to be our most experienced group, to be honest. Not only me, but we have a couple corners. Dallas Branch, he's going to be a senior. We have Noah Tumblr, Des Malone, played a lot. We had these young guys that even got in a little bit. Noah Avenue, he's a place as a freshman. He'll be a first or sophomore. We have this guy, Chris Johnson, that played a little bit as a freshman. We have a couple safeties, Devon Sellerson. We have transfers coming in. TCU, Texas, I got some snaps. So we have a lot of guys, to be honest, I feel like in the second that kind of have not been seen and came to light yet. I feel like they're going to show a big foot. Sidarius was a great interview and very polite, contrary to the slicing and dicing he does for the Aztecs defense. Looking forward to him having his best year yet. The final player of this interview group for me was Mark Redman, the big man from San Diego State. After two seasons at Washington, he transferred here and immediately became a full-time starter and All-Mountain West first team honoree at six foot six, two hundred and fifty pounds. He's one of the most NFL-esque tight ends in the conference, and scarily, he's only started one full season. Here's what he said he learned from that experience. I think uh, the attitude part of it, the toughness, is you got to be a tough guy on the field. You really can't care for anyone else or what they have to say for you. Definitely things that I've tried to work on in the offseason. You know, everyone says they're getting faster, stronger, and stuff like that, but a little bit of acceleration stuff. A huge thing for me last year was contested catches, and I really want to get better and work on that stuff this year as well. So those are the few main points that I have for myself. Though Redmond was great last year, the rest of the offense struggled finishing 108th in scoring. Brady Hoke brought in a new offensive coordinator and QB coach, the Aztecs all-time leader in passing yards and touchdowns, Ryan Lindley. I had to ask Mark about how he's liked his new coach thus far. I love the way he's handled stuff. There's some small intricate details, I'd say, for different coverages. He'll give you the opportunity to run some different. There's just small, small things like that, and he really knows what he's doing. He's really confident in us. We're confident in him, and under Jalen Maiden, that being been being together for at least like a full year now at least. Just really lots of kind to be a little more fluid and be able to do what we do best. If the passing game can improve, then so will Redmond's numbers. When he gets the ball, regardless of how much he does, he produces. Sky is the limit for him. My first interview of the second session was Fresno State slot receiver Eric Brooks, a former walk-on. He's been a contributor since 2020 and will play a big role for the Bulldogs offensively. If their top three receivers from the last year graduating, Brooks will be the leader of a green group. Here's what he has been trying to teach the young guys in the room. The thing I try to teach him the most is patience. The thing I can teach him about football is trying to understand everything. So not only your position, but you know the guy on the opposite side of the field, every receiver spot. So knowing the offense as a whole really helps you understand where you fit into the picture and your piece of the puzzle. And then also helping them understand coverages and what defenses are trying to do, what certain defenses are trying to take away in certain coverages. So if I can help him with that, I feel like I'll be able to help him out their game. My next question was about the guys that have impressed him in the receiver room. He sounded really excited about the depth overall. This was his response. Young guys like Jalen Walsh, Nate Acevedo, he's doing really good. Um, my guy Jordan Brown, he's been here with me for a little bit. He's a welcome as well. New guys we brought in from Juco, Antoine Sullivan, Tim Greer, Artis Cole. Those guys are going to be all right. They, they've been through a spring with us. We brought in two transfer portal kids, Jalen Gill, Mikael Barkley. Those are some big names. Come from some big time schools that have played uh, big games, made some big catches. So it'll be interesting to see they came in here over the summer. So it'll be interesting to see when they get out there in camp, see what they can do. But I feel confident with what I've seen so far. Obviously, 
obviously the Bulldogs offense will look very different than it did last year, but it should be expected that Brooks will be one of their top pass catchers. He's electric in the open field, has good hands, and has as much experience as anyone. A very nice guy, and I wish him well this year. Really excited to see what he can do. The other Fresno State player sent to media days was middle linebacker Lavelle Bailey. He's been an All-Mountain West honorable mention three years in a row and is one of the integral leaders of this defense. I asked him what he focused on this offseason. I want to say my physicality. Talking to our defensive corner coordinator, Kevin Coyle, our line, my linebacker coach, Tim Skipper, physicality and being strong in the weight room is something that I've been improving on in the offseason, this summer especially, and learning the game, the ins and outs of the game of football. Watching more NFL film, you know, this is my last season. So improvement, the ins and outs of what to do and why we do things like this for the next level purposes. I also wanted to ask Bailey about the culture of the program and how they instill that in the incoming transfers and freshmen. Here was his answer. I want to say it's with the little things. Knowing the history, really, knowing what we're all about, as a, not only as a defense, but as a team. Transfers from offensive-wise, defensive-wise, special teams-wise, to trying to know the history about Fresno, what to look forward to, and things like that. Trying to lay the foundation now that we're one of the best teams in the country. Absolutely. And to install that with my leadership, me showing them, not only talking to them and being me vocally, but showing that I can do it as well and you can hold me accountable as well. Lavelle Bailey will likely have the best year of his career. He'll be the anchor of the defense along with Cam Lockridge. Can the rest of the guys keep the defense at last year's level? Bailey sure seems to think so. A super nice guy and a joy to interview, honestly. Next team up in the circuit was Utah State. I first got to Hale Motuapuaka, one of the best returning interior D linemen in the conference. He doubled his sack output last year and is a mainstay of the Aggies defense defense starting all but one game over the last two years. I asked him what he intends to improve on in his final collegiate year. Most important thing is to stay healthy, be able to play the entire season, play every game, as many snaps as I can. But, you know, every year you just want to be more productive than the last. That is my goal, you know, more sacks, more TFLs. Maybe, you know, home recovery, scoop the score, something like that. That'd be awesome, especially going into my last season of college football. Utah State has had more roster turnover over the last two years than maybe anyone in the conference. With all the new faces in the building, I was wondering how Halle and the other veterans keep the culture right where it is. We're trying to keep the culture that we have. There's a certain standard. We like to think of ourselves as blue-collar, hard workers. We're always the underdog. We never pick first, but that's the way we like it. We might not be the best looking on the roster, or on paper, or the most talented team, but one thing that we definitely will be is the most hardworking team. So we strive for, and that's what the standard is. So, you know, especially with a lot of new guys, either coming from Juco, from maybe Power 5 schools, we just want to make sure that they know the standard and that they're on the same page and have the same attitude as us. My last question for Halle was about the season opener in Iowa. I made sure to mention the Hawkeyes scoring output or lack thereof. I asked if they've been looking forward to that game or if it's still too early to worry about them. Personally, and a lot of the boys in defense, we've already just been, you know, just trying to see what they're what they're about, especially on offense. They might not look that productive on the scoreboard and stuff, but they are a very big physical team. They play Big Ten ball, so it's going to be very exciting to you know represent our school, represent the Mountain West. You get to go out there, Iowa, you know, play in a great atmosphere, you know. So I'm very excited for that. 
Motu Apuaka is one of the most fun players and names in the conference. He's got an infectious smile and is exactly what you want in a team leader, expecting big things from the big man this year. The next player I talked to was Cooper Legas, Utah State's starting quarterback. He backed up Logan Bonner the last two years, starting nine games and showing the ability to make plays and add to the run game. With the title of QB1 officially being his, I asked him how he's felt about winning the job and how it's changed his off-season preparation. It's been awesome, and I think it's always been about prepping myself because there's always been another guy leading the team. There's always been the coaches, the starting quarterback, the leaders of the team, and making sure everyone's ready to go and sort of been on myself to get myself prepared. But now being that guy, it's up to me to both prepare myself and prepare the guys around me and make sure we're all working together. So it's been awesome. I think it's been cool being able to try to help both my position group and the offense as a whole get us working together. So more of a leadership role has been awesome. Though he became the starter last year, at times his play was a mixed bag. Here's Cooper's opinion on where he excelled and where he needs to improve. I think I've always been a playmaker. Things break down, being able to make something out of it. I want to keep that ability while at the same time not making a bad play worse. If the play's messed up, don't worry about it. Get rid of the ball, throw it away, throw it in the dirt. Do what I need to do to make sure I protect the ball where sometimes last year I think I got in trouble always trying to make a play. Force the ball where it shouldn't have gone and sometimes that leads to turnovers. Bad snap and trying to run around and do whatever so just taking care of the ball really well at the same time making plays when I need to. I get that Legas hasn't done a ton on the field but I think he's going to have a really good season. He's confident, approachable, exactly what you want from your showrunner. If he can avoid those unnecessary mistakes as he intends to, I think the Aggies could surprise a lot of people offensively. The final team in this session was San Jose State. I first approached Trey Jenkins, the 60-year safety, entering his fourth year as their starting strong safety. He's coming off his best year of his career with 60 tackles, two interceptions, and five deflections. Now spearheading a defense that's a bit on the younger side, I asked him how he's taken on the role of a leader. Being the sixth year and being with Coach Reynolds from the zone, take that personally and want to lead and show them like how it was before um, Coach Reynolds came and also what we built this program up to be and how we can't relax. We can't just get content with being a competitive team and a respectable team that's coming out of West Conference. And I think that's the biggest goal for me is to keep the team focused and controlled because they're our young guys. They have that energy, they have that juice, that chippiness, and just uh, make sure that they're always having that even when the plays aren't going away. I also wanted to ask Trey about what he wants to accomplish in his final year in college football, whether personally or a goal for the team. Here was his answer. I have to get a pick six. That's one of the biggest things I've been wanting to do. I scored one touchdown on special teams in the first play, 2018. And one of those things that comes just, I just always wanted to get a pick six stat-wise. I want to bring that Mountain chip to San Jose. I want to play in front of our fans and team. Uh, we did that COVID, but we couldn't do that in front of the fans. We had to play in Vegas. And so having that opportunity for that trophy up the Spartans are going to rely on Trey Jenkins for a ton this year between leadership, on-field play, and essentially coaching. He was a great interview, and I'd expect him to have a phenomenal season. The final player I had to interview in this circuit was the man himself, Chevin Cordiero. After transferring in from Hawaii, he led the conference in passing yards and touchdowns, as well as adding nine rushing scores. Obviously, I had to ask him about his his thoughts on being named the preseason offensive player of the year. I mean, it feels good. It gives you an extra confidence this year. But at the same time, it's just preseason. 
Hey, what really matters is at the end of the season. My main goal is raise the Montana's Cup Championship. And that's what really matters. Though he was amazing last year, there's always room to improve. Here's what Shevin intends to get better at this year. Just being the student of the game. I feel like that's what I was last year, but there's a lot of things I need to work on. Just watching more film, doing the small things better. Getting bigger, getting stronger. I feel like the type of player I get hit a lot. I feel like I need to put on some muscles the last the whole season. And that's what I really want. Getting more comfortable with the The last thing I had to ask Shevin about was how he's feeling about his pass catchers. It's a tall task to replace the production of Elijah Cooks, but there are several talented guys who can step up. Here is who came to the mind for Chef. Replacing a guy like Elijah Cooks is really hard, but I, mean, I feel like we got a lot of guys hungry to step up. Justin Lockhart, Charles Ross, Isaac Jernigan, Nick Nash, BA, of course we got a tight end, Sam. We got a lot of guys, especially our running backs. Kyrie, we got Q with Transform Tech. Of course, our run game is going to be different this year. With a good run game, we're going to do the passing game. We're ready for the season. Our offensive line, we're working really hard this off. I feel like they're going to pull a lot of people off. I feel like we're mentally prepared. Chevin Cordero is no doubt the most proven quarterback in the Mountain West. The Spartans will go as far as he can take them, which could certainly be a conference championship if they can beat Air Force and Boise State in back-to-back -back weeks, that is. For the third circuit, I had to go straight to my Colorado State guys, starting with Mohamed Kamara, one of the best edge rushers in the conference. He was second in the conference in TFLs and tied for fourth in sacks and won't have as much on his shoulders this season as the defense around him improves. I also talked to him more personally later in the session, didn't record it, but we bonded over both being from Jersey and both having brief commitments to Temple. Just an awfully personable guy. He couldn't have been nicer. Back to football, I asked him about his thoughts on the defensive line group, which should be much deeper this year. Here's who has stood out to him so far, as well as some insight into how practices are run in Fort Collins. Cam, James, Brady Kelly, those interior guys. Mm -hmm. I think for me, a lot of the edge guys, we are always fighting for the same spot. Like they, those guys don't really impress me because they're like, you know, we work in all the time. See what those interior guys do. You know, our coaches split us up. Basically two D-line coaches, they split us up. So when away, we really don't see the work that they put in, but mm -hmm. to see them do well in the field, yeah. I also asked Kamara about the defense's impression of the air raid. How did it help you in practice? Does the defense take the system's notoriety personally? Things like that. Here's what he had to say. It's a tool to help makes the defense get better, especially against our DBs. A lot of the times we all have our own egos. So it's like, you guys at the air raid show us. You know what I mean? This is in practice. Most of the time it's just to get better. But once it comes to down to game time, you know, we're see the air raid too. Kamara is as productive as they come and should be even better as a senior, I can't wait to see what he accomplishes before he hopefully moves on to the professional level. Next, I interviewed Colorado State's punter, the Australian Patty Turner. I got a full-length interview with him, so you can find that in the episode that came out earlier last week, along with another full-length interview. Check that out. I will say he was incredibly nice, thoughtful, and hilarious. Excited to watch him kick this year. The next team I got to talk to was New Mexico, starting with their new quarterback, Dylan Hopkins. He was UAB's starter the last two years and was very good over 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. He hit the portal for his final year of college eligibility and ended up
up following his old coach Brian Vincent to Albuquerque. That was the first thing I wanted to ask him about, his relationship with Vincent and how they both ended up here. This was what he had to say about their journey. He ended up a job and I think he was there for a week and a half and definitely I mean a lot of speculation on I mean we just got done with the bowl game UAB. They had announced the coaching change before the before the game so I wouldn't didn't think anything about the pool or anything like that. I really just kind of focused on that bowl game and then once things kind of played out, I mean, I, it's my last year of college football, so I think just being with someone you've been with and you trust, you know the offense, I mean, why not for your last year? And just someone you can trust, too, and you know he's going to do a good job with the program. You know he cares about it, and so I think that was definitely a decision. Hopkins is in a strange position as one of the oldest players on the team, but also one of the newest members of the Lobos. Here's what he had to say about handling that dynamic. I think coming in as the new guy, you never want to have that ego or be super cocky about anything. You know, I think just seeing from other players too, but I think just going in that you want to earn everyone's respect and really just show whether that's on the field or off the field, whether that's making plays, just doing the right thing all the time. So I think that's the number one thing is uh, the players respect and then really just building the program around, building the people around. I think when times get tough is when people really break and I think that's when you got to really got to hold them together. So I think when times get tough, especially through workouts too and everything, I mean, they do good things really pushing us to the end and just seeing what everyone's about and seeing what they're truly about. So I think that would be a big role. It's an uphill battle for New Mexico's offense, but it's been a rotating door at quarterback. If Hopkins can solidify that spot, the Lobos could surprise some people, especially if he takes his game to the next level, which I think he can. I moved over to the other representative from New Mexico, veteran corner Dante Martin. He's been one of the most consistent defensive backs in the conference since 2019, but also hasn't played a full season since then. He's missed a few games here and there with injuries over his career. I asked him about what he's learned in all of his time as a player and what he tries to teach the young guys in his position group. Here's his answer. I'll go back with me in 2019. My weight coach had told me sure and grow up because going into the season, because I never played a season like this before at that time. They just told me I needed to be more mature, and that's what I did. I matured up, came into the season, and had a, a very good season that year. So then I'll say the same thing to them. And being a leader, I really don't try to like, I know some people get like discouraged and stuff, like when some people like start yelling at them on the field, but I'm more of the type like, I lead in silence, so like I just try to lead by example. But then if I see you mess up on the field, I'm gonna try to pull you to the side. What you did in your technique during the coverage, what you did wrong. During my research, I found out that Dante is actually currently 15th all-time in Mountain West pass deflections. I had to know if he was even aware of that, and if that was a goal that's on his radar. Here's one of my favorite answers of the whole event. I didn't know that. I knew I was like, I was fifth for New Mexico, but I did not know I was 13th, but now what's the what's the goal? It's, I believe, it's 37. 37? It's 37. Okay, you're okay. At, yeah, you're at 25. Yeah, I feel like, so now since you just said that, I want to get it, just because. Another guy who falls into the undersized, feisty corner bucket. I expect big things from Dante Martin this year. Besides how friendly he was, he's clearly a very smart player with great ability. He should be amazing in his final year. Get those 13 deflections for me, brother. The last team I got to talk to in this session was UNLV, the hosts themselves. First, I found Naki Fahina, who should be the Rebels' starting defensive tackle. He was a rotation piece for the beginning of his career and was poised for a great year before he was knocked out for the season in the first game. My first question was about what he missed most during his time off the field. He gave a touching answer. I think the number one thing that I missed most was just playing with my teammates. I think running out that tunnel with your brothers, knowing that... 
and got their back. I feel like that was the number one thing I missed was just being on the field with my guys. I had to get Naki's thoughts on the new coaches. The best players to ask this are the ones who were recruited by the previous regime since they have the biggest reason of anyone to be critical. That wasn't the case. Here's what Fahina had to say about Barry Odom and his other new coaches. I think it's been great. The whole transition with having Coach Odom come in, for me it's been great just because of the person that Coach Odom is. You'll never see another side of Coach Odom. It's just one side of Coach Odom. It's been great. He's been one for the athletes. He's been all about us. He shows that he loves and cares about us, so that's the number one thing that I took away. But the coaching staff that he surrounded us with is going great right now. He has surrounded us with coaches that are just like-minded as him, so I think that was a great thing. First off, I can't say enough about how nice Naki was. Even without my elevator gaff, he said hi to me on several occasions and was super friendly the whole time. Second, he's on the verge of a great season. More than anything, I want him to play a full season. I know that's what he wants too, but I expect him to produce as well. Doug Brumfield was the last player I got to talk to in this circuit, and he was also kind enough to give me a full interview. You can find that episode right next to Patty Turner. Such a nice guy, man. Incredibly down-to-earth and personal. He's going to have a heck of a season if he can stay healthy. He's got a good arm and is electric as a runner. Good luck to you, Doug, and I'm sorry I missed the easiest introduction opportunity in the history of sports or elevators. Before we get to the last session of day one, let me tell you what happened in the middle of the session we just talked about. After one or two interviews, Vic Aquino, of course, he's our site's San Jose State correspondent, came over to me just to check in, see how I was doing. I asked him what he was up to. He said he was just talking to Jay Norvell. What? Obviously, I wanted to introduce myself, but I was still terrified. I get it. I was scared of interviewing the players before, but they're all so nice, and they're also my age. What are the odds a freaking head coach gives me the time of day, let alone on a day he isn't contractually obligated to talk to me? Should I introduce myself, I asked Vic. Vic said, yeah, let me go see if he's still out there, and I'll come get you if he is. As he walked away, part of me hoped Norvell had disappeared. I wasn't really ready for this, having a normal conversation with a Division One head football coach. Before I could think of anything else, Vic waved at me by the door to the media room. He's out there. Here goes nothing, I guess. I awkwardly stood a few feet away as he caught up with some other folks, and when they left, I talked before I could remember how scared I was. He was so nice to me. We talked for a few minutes. He asked me where I was from and how I ended up here. It was all a blur, honestly. I said goodbye and nice to meet you and walked back into the media room, stunned that I had just shook hands with Jay Norvell, that he gave me some of his time. I found Vic, gave him a thank you hug, and went back to work. So shout out to Coach Norvell for one of the best moments of my life, and shout out to Vic for pushing me into the deep end knowing I wouldn't have gone in there myself. The final interview session of the day for me began with Air Force and Camby Goff, the incredibly talented Spur, which is best described as a nickel corner who can play the run game like a linebacker. He earned all Mountain West honorable mention for his 42 tackles and team leading three interceptions and nine deflections. I wanted to get Camby's opinion on his preferred position, safety or or spur here was his answer which made me understand his position better than I ever have it's hard I like safety just because the depth you come down so when you have to fill the run you know you come from depth and you come flying down but I also like the nickel position that I play just because it's a man up in the slot I like playing man I like being up close so kind of tuning the run game you know you're right there so getting the action goes faster 
even though Air Force's defense will be losing several key starters, we all know they'll be one of the best defenses in the country. They've been the third best scoring defense two out of the last three years. I asked Goff for the reason why the school's defense is always top notch. Here's what he said. I think that our preparations during practice, we go through a whole bunch of plays and stuff. Coaches really get his hair clean. Our chemistry, pressing the person right next to you is going to make the right play at the right time. You know, it goes a long way. You know, you have people playing like Superman. You might forget the responsibility. Camby Goff is one of the most versatile players in the entire conference, no doubt about it. Along with guys like Peyton Zadroyuk, he'll be the leader of more than likely one of the best defenses in the country once again. He was also a super nice guy as well. Thanks for that, Camby. I appreciate you. Next up was Thor Pagley along, my breakfast brother, if you will. He's coming off his first full year as Air Force's starting center, where the unit was a Joe Moore Award semi finalists and paved the way for Brad Roberts to win the Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year award. Replacing Roberts was the subject of my first question. The bottom line of Thor's answer, it doesn't matter. I could be the running back, honestly. I mean, we got a bunch of guys. Not exactly sure who's going to replace him, but we're confident that anyone they put back there is going to do a job. Because our offensive line, we're all communicating together. Anyone should be able to run. Another thing I was interested in was the responsibilities of an offensive lineman in the triple option. Pagley along laid it out in an incredibly digestible way, here it is. For the most part, the guard, center, those three are typically all the same. Not all the same, but block for dive no matter what. It's the tackles that kind of have a different job. They got the hard job as far as different techniques they have to do to release off the line if they're arcing or something like that. It's kind of play by the book and they kind of... Other responsibilities. Yeah. On the preseason all-first team, and for good reason, Thor will be one of the offense's best players. The specifics of the guys carrying the ball still need to be ironed out, but an Air Force offense offensive line is as close to a sure thing as you can get in college football. He was also a warm and welcoming guy, which was obvious after he gave me the time of day at breakfast, hoping he accomplishes everything he wants to as a senior. The next team I talked to was the Rainbow Warriors of Hawaii, beginning with their center, Aliki Tanuvasa. He walked onto the team after one year at Eastern Illinois and has started 15 games over the last two years and was a captain last year. He's the elder statesman of the offensive line, if you will, and should be one of the best centers in the Mountain West. I asked him about the rest of the offensive line, how confident he was in them. He immediately lit up, listened to this heartwarming answer. They're such a great group of guys that I'm always willing to put in the work. We can't love each other enough. We're always around each other. Our O-line is very deceiving. I mean, a lot of people will say we lost a lot of key guys over the last year, but we really do have a guy that's been under the radar, that's been there for a long time. One of our leaders of our offense, Solo Vaipulu, you know, he probably has probably one of the most clear starts out of the whole conference. All he did was redshirt this past year. He's right there as one of the top guys in our conference. And we have uh, Sergio Musao. You know, he played in like every single game, I think, except for one game last year. He brings a lot of the experience. And we have guys to back up those interior three positions. We have like Arashi Morse, one of my good friends. He made for a long time. Mota Allah. You know, Zen, Sotelo, you know, all guys that, that they've been around the program for a little while now. Tackle positions, we have a lot of guys competing for that spot. Kaena DeCambra, he's had a busy offseason, doing extremely well. Got a couple of transfers, Josh Atkins having a, a tremendous offseason as well. Boy Luke from Australia, doing great, you know, big body. And 
right now we're just all feeding off each other just taking things day by day like we again it's super deceiving to say our o-line isn't very experienced but we really are in many ways the guys have seen it been through it backed up different positions and now it's you know it's just a matter of time before it's their time to shine i also wanted to ask aliki about the responsibilities of alignment in the run and shoot he gave me the full insight on life as the center in their new offense for the run and shoot i mean i've been blessed in the run and shoot from high school i played the run and shoot and then Cole rolovich played in the run and shoot so i guess some of the differences just finding our pocket presence a little more for our quarterback we're not really too much traditional pocket you know we have the opportunity to move the quarterback in different ways and just kind of understanding of what pass protections we're allowed to you know give up some ground or be a little bit more firm but i think it just gives a lot of opportunity for the quarterback to you know see different parts of the field you know pick apart the defense and just you know let it fly for the most part it's, it's not nothing too crazy for all i mean we always run around the ball quarterbacks always want to throw the ball so that kind of gets, gets some funny conversations with rpos and stuff like that you know football's football you just got to go out there and do your assignment with another year of development the rainbow warriors should be much better offensively aliki will hopefully start every game for the first time in his career and will lead the way for Braden shager and tylen hines anuvasa was as sweet as can be and gave such thoughtful answers was so great to meet him and talk to him for a bit I moved over to the other Hawaii representative, budding linebacker star Logan Taylor. He was great at El Camino Junior College and came to the islands in 2020. He played in 12 games his first two years before becoming a starter for the first time in the final six games of this past season. He was immediately one of the defense's best players, finishing with a team-leading 85 tackles, four TFLs, and a pick. Not to mention, Logan might have been the nicest person out of everyone. He said something to me before I started recording. I won't say exactly what it was, but it might have been the kindest remark in the history of language. First, I asked how his approach has changed now that he's solidified as a starter. He gave such an insightful and inspiring answer. Take a listen. You know, the whole time I was even a backup, you know, like I was the starter, right? So nothing changed, you know, and I would say even, you know, for me, for I think I had a week of, it almost was a deterrent. You're trying to get to that next level. You're working, you're working hard, you're doing the extra. So I had a week of complacency. I really realized that for that week, I was trusting the God for so for, for everything I, I needed, right? I was coming back off an injury. I was doing all these certain things. One week, I felt tired. I felt placed, and I put in the extra work. You know, I ended up realizing that it was me relying on my own strength. Oh, I could, I could, do, I could do this on my own. What I was doing in that moment, I was ne- neglecting God of being controlling my life. I realized that. I sat down with my pastor. I realized that, you know, my thing is I, I need to be desperate on God. I need to be desperate on God knowing that, hey, can I do this without you, God? And I'm relying on you. That's who makes me me. Like, but once I relied on God for the strength each and every day, it was a flip script, and, you know, I think that that little week happened for a reason. People can get complacent in that when, when it's handed to you, you don't care, but reminding yourself, what's your vision? Starting is not just my vision. I want, I'm trying to get to the things that I can't reach, things that are unattainable without God. Despite his personal success last year, the rest of the Rainbow Warriors defense struggled mightily, giving up a conference worth 34.7 points a game. I wanted to know what stuck out on film to Taylor as the most vital areas the defense has to improve on and what he thinks will help them this year. First of all, tackling. You win and lose game off missed tackles. You know, the tackling needs to be a lot better. And I mean, and we're working at it. We know that was a weakness, especially early on in the season, right? And we can't have that again because that lost this game. It could be three missed tackles that will lose you a game. Focusing on that, focusing on uh, the little things. We understand the scheme now. How can we cheat it? How can we understand what the offense is giving us now, now that we, we understand the defense and don't have to think? That's something that we're implementing now. Certain formations, right? I'm not thinking of, I know what I, exactly where I'm supposed to be. What is the offense giving me? What can I do better to cheat the play, to be able to reach the things that we need to work on and that's things that we are working on. Logan Taylor is a name you need to remember. If the last six games of the year were any indication, he's one of the 
the conference's fastest rising stars. He'll be a vital part of this Hawaii defense, along with Peter Manuma and transfer Cam Stone. Thanks to Logan for being so candid and nice to me. One of my best interactions ever, period. The last team I got to interview this session was Boise State, starting with star linebacker DJ Schramm. After four years as a rotation piece, he was the starting Mike linebacker last year and was phenomenal. He was fourth in the conference in tackles with 107 and led the team in TFLs with 11 and a half. He's only one of a few returning starters for the Broncos, but that doesn't shake his confidence in the unit. I asked him about guiding the new starters this year, and here was his response. I mean, it's not really something I need to do. It's something that they know they're expected to do. That's just standard of how we play defense. It doesn't matter if we return 11 or return zero. The standard of Boise defense is going to be elite. not going to allow it to be any other way. The confidence in Boise State this year obviously isn't just limited to the team. The media has them pegged as the heavy favorite this year, getting over 75% of first place votes in the official team voting. I asked DJ about the team's expectations for the year, if it was conference championship or bust. Here's what he said. That is a goal every single year, but at the same time, we do have to take it one game at a time. We got to prepare for each game, can't look ahead. We got to go out there and play as hard as we can. The last thing I asked him about was if any former Bronco greats had given him tips on the game other than Andy Avalos, obviously. He gave an anecdote about the last legend he talked to, along with how it helps the team to see a model of success. We had Jay McClellan in the building long ago, came and talked to us, and I got to chop it up with him for a little bit. That was a super cool experience because CSU legend. So I was super humbled to be able to talk to him and him uh, taking time out of his day to do this. Tram is on his way to solidifying his spot in Boise State lore. If he can replicate last year's production, he'll be one of the conference's best middlemen. But if he can elevate his game to another level, Schramm will be drafted. That's a guarantee. He was confident and well-spoken and was a great interview. Good luck this year, man. My last interview of the circuit was Boise State's tight end, Riley Smith. He committed to the blue turf as a quarterback, but switched to tight end after one year. He carved out a solid role as their starter the last three years, adding 455 receiving yards and providing consistent route running and speed. Since he's entering his sixth year on campus, I first asked about what he's trying to improve on this late in his development as a player. Here's what he's focusing on. Growing as a vocal leader for the team, that was one of the biggest things. Player ran team. Just being able to do that and grow our team just mentally is a huge stride for me and a huge stride for our team. Getting my body right, we got a great new weight room staff and they've been doing a great job of just getting us in shape and getting us stronger and then just working on increasing my football IQ every single day watching film cutting it up trying to know what the defense is doing and it really helped me and uh, helped form me into a player and I hope I grade over to the season. The final question I asked Riley was about the offensive renaissance that happened throughout last season. I wanted to know what he saw on the field change as they got better and better and better. Here's what he saw and yes it was the obvious answer. Kalen does a great job of just bringing a different aspect to the game. All the guys rallied around him and just built the confidence in him. So he's done a great job of helping elevate our offense and just all the players on the field. We have just elite guys at every single position. Just using them the right way and it's up for success has been a really good job for us and carried us out through the season and we're going to lay it over until this next year. Riley is entering his fourth straight year as the starter in this offense and he should have his best year yet. With Taylor Green hopefully taking the next step as a passer, Smith could be a sneaky choice for Mountain West first team tight end. I actually had some extra time before this session ended so thanks to that here's a special section I call my favorite Favorite player will start with Camby Gaw. Favorite player is Des Bryant. Throw up the X, you know. He was always a guy you just you know, throw it up to 
too, you know, you gotta come down with this. He did catch it. Test, maybe fumble, whatever. Yeah, after the second step of DB, you know how that works. Exactly. Yeah. I, I would have called it a okay. catch. Next is Aliki Tanuvasa. It's pretty funny. Actually, I don't really watch football. I don't really watch sports. Definitely looked up to a lot was Olin Krutz. He went to the same high school that I went to. He played for the University of Washington. And then he played for the, the Chicago Bears for about 12 years. He was a center. So real, real nasty, real mean. Like, probably one of the scariest guys I've ever met. You know, another guy that was a little undersized and just went out there and did his thing and played the game the right way. You know, played nasty, physical, and, you know, did what he had to do. Now it's Thor Paglia Long's turn. I loved Devin Hester, Brian Erlocker, and the Chicago Bears. Those are my two. And we'll finish with Logan Taylor. My favorite player was Deshaun Golson, safety, uh, San Francisco 49ers. Played in my high school, a young kid. He would come by to practice when I was like Pop Warner, like fourth, fourth to sixth grade, come down, show love. And, you know, just just him coming down and just showing love out of his time. Because that's he played at that Pop Warner as well. You know, I was just, I was like, that was my role model. And he was a baller. That was my guy. You know, someone that you want to be like right and when you live that you know what it means to the younger kids you know that's why we do what we do go and show love that was it for day one what an experience better than i could have ever imagined only thing i did that night outside of transcribing quotes was have dinner with vic aquino our san jose state writer he's also a documentarian besides just being an amazing guy full of wisdom and someone that i'm glad to call my friend now be on the lookout for the muralist beautiful pain which will be making the film festival rounds this year it's going to be an amazing documentary. That is something I'm very excited to see released to the public at some point. Thanks for everything you did for me during this event, Vic. Can't tell you how much it means to me until the next event, brother. So now for day two, I get to breakfast, and I know I'm going to sit at a crowded table this time. I don't want to get caught off guard like last breakfast, so I sat at this table that was almost full. All of them were pretty much from Hawaii. Super nice guys. I had met a bunch of them yesterday, so I felt good about the table. I'm eating for a few minutes when everyone at the table goes, hey, Timmy, and then Timmy Chang sits next to me. It happened again somehow. I didn't formally introduce myself, but the whole table talked about a ton of things, from funny coaches and Vegas stories to the brutal traffic in Hawaii and how to avoid it. He left after about 10 minutes for his live show interview, and that was that. That was so insanely cool, eating bacon next to the second most prolific passer in college football history. Coach Chang was super nice and included me in the conversation that was, apart from me, all good friends of his. So thanks for that, coach. I will never forget that. The first coach I interviewed today was the legendary hard-nosed Craig Bull. The three-time FCS national champion at North Dakota State took the Wyoming job in 2014 and has turned the program into one of the most consistent in the conference, only finishing under 500 one time since 2016, which was in 2020. They ended up at 7-6 for the second year in a row, but they return a ton of talent, which all starts with preseason defense defensive player of the year Easton Gibbs. I asked Coach Bull what he means to the team and how he's been as a leader. Here was his answer. He's a leader. Certainly to be a leader, you've got to have an example, and he's, he's established that. When he speaks, people listen. He's not out there yelling and screaming. A great deal of wisdom, and when he speaks and addresses things, the need moves. He has the respect of our whole football team. He's got a lot of experience, and so we're going to ask a lot of him. The other thing I wanted to hear Coach Bull speak about was the running back room. The Cowboys are always a run-heavy offense, but will need to replace 1,000-yard rusher Titus Swen. They have DeWyan McNeely, who we voted as our offensive breakout player of the year, Northern Illinois transfer Harrison Whaley, who we voted onto our Mountain West first team, and other guys like DQ James. A lot of potential, but also a lot of unknown. Here's what Coach Bull had to say about his confidence in this group. We are very confident. DeWyan McNeely, we think, has got tremendous ability. Harrison Whaley, 
has been a great addition. He will miss the first couple games. He's had some knee reconstruction, but we'll have him. And we've always had somewhat of a ability to have running back by committee when we've really been good. I think last year probably got a little bit imbalanced with Titus. I think we're going to have more home run plays in that group. And if we have great production out of that group, and I think our offensive line is going to do a good job moving, I think they're going to poised to have a great year. So bottom line is I'm very confident. I think we've got an excellent group in that. I must say Craig Bull has a certain aura about him. He commands respect, but he's also super approachable and honest. It was a real pleasure to interview him, and his team is a dark horse this year, that's for sure. Only picked six in the preseason poll, but they have one of the best front sevens in the country and an offense that should certainly improve and allow them to play the way they want to. They got two shots for Big 12 upsets in the first three weeks, opening in Laramie against Texas Tech and at Texas in week three. So we'll learn about how good this team can be by then, but on paper, Wyoming looks very solid. Next, I went over to Brady Hoke's table. After a decade away from San Diego State coaching Michigan, he returned in 2020. It's been peaks and valleys so far with two mediocre seasons, 7-6 this year, and a 12-2 record and a Coach of the Year award in 2021. He brought in Ryan Lindley as his new offensive coordinator, and with a healthy Jalen Maiden and another year of development for the big guys and running backs, it should be better than last year. The defense will need more D-line production, but New Mexico transfer Cody Moon and a host of veterans will keep them as one of the conference's top defenses. Coach Hoke was also real nice and gave me personally a ton of respect for a coach who's been running programs almost two decades, so thank you for that, Coach. I first asked him about the development of the running backs, namely Bruiser Jalen Armstead and Speedster Keenan Kristen. Here's what he had to say about them. You know, they're both very talented. Ian's done an unbelievable job in stepping up as a senior and taking a leadership role. has been really, really great to see. At that position, obviously, Armstead's a more physical type guy. Jalen's a speed guy more. The one thing I like on that whole group is that it's competitive. That room is competitive. Jimmy Beal, our new running back coach, he's done a great job with them and the pride they have for each other. So it's been really good. I also had to ask Coach Hoke about his confidence in the secondary. We already talked to Sedaris Barfield, who told us they're the most experienced group. So I wanted to see if Coach agreed. He did. Well, that's probably one of the positions I feel the best in. You know, I think our corners, we've got a four guy, five guy rotation. At the corner position, that's pretty good. Talked about some of the safeties, what they can do. We've got some young guys in that room that will be awfully good for us also. So feel good about our secondary. They've done a good job and they've developed and it's been good. The Aztecs are going to be similar in pace to last year, but they should be more efficient. If the running game can carry the bulk of the plays, they'll control the pace of the games and be tough to beat. But if the run game doesn't reach that level, their lack of proven pass catchers outside of Mark Redman could be an issue. Coach Hoke has shown he can win without an elite scoring attack, and if the secondary rises to the occasion, along with the D-line, they can contend for a conference title. He was cordial and attentive. All of his answers gave additional insight on the team, not just my question so he's definitely somebody I would like to interview again. The last coach I interviewed from this session was Ken Wilson. He's in his second year as Nevada's head coach, but he got his start as a Nevada assistant from 1989 to 2012. He was a Pac-12 assistant for the next eight years before coming back to Reno. The team went 2-10 last year, losing their final 10 on the calendar. I asked Coach Wilson about the leap we should see from his team this year, though I focused on some of the big-name transfers he brought in, namely Sean Dollars and Brandon Lewis. Here's 
what he told me about the difference between last year's squad and this year. Well, I don't know if they're going to be starters yet, but they're battling to be starters. I think the difference between this year and last year, the transfers, we've had them, most of them have been here since December. So we've had spring ball all summer going into fall now. But we're in a lot better place. A lot of like Shane Hillingworth that came last year, a lot of those guys, they didn't get there. Elijah Winston, they didn't get there till practice or practice or two into fall camp. I think that's really hard at the college level to be up to speed and ready to play. Whereas Sean, Ashton, Brendan, Kalecki, Henry Akihifo, all those spring balls. So they know the scheme. They've been practicing all summer. They've done the player-led practice. We're in a lot better place getting them up to speed and getting them in the rotation. We've got a few, you know, John Jackson from USC, some of those guys that came a little bit later, Isaiah Crocker. But they have been here all summer. So we have very few guys that their first practice will be fall practice, mm-hmm. where we had a lot of guys in that situation last year. I really wanted to ask him a Nevada-Reno-specific question, so I asked Coach Wilson who his favorite Wolfpack players he's gotten to coach are. Here's what he came up with. Top three. That'd be hard. I'm going to make somebody mad, so if I say that, they're They'd probably all be linebackers of all of them. Deshaun Miles was the all-time leading tackler, played for me, a Vegas guy. One of my favorite guys, Asher Sulman, Josh Maga, Mike Crawford, Nevada guys from the state that played at Nevada. But there are so many great players. I would sit here all afternoon naming great players from the University of Nevada, guys that I still talk to almost on a daily basis. So there's a lot of them out there. It'd be naive to say Nevada can make a bowl game this year, though anything is possible. They will be very improved from last year. You heard him talk about how much better equipped this year's transfers are compared to last year's and with another year of development from standouts like DeLavon Campbell and Drew Watts, the Wolfpack will surprise some people in Coach Wilson's second year. Coach Wilson was super friendly and I really enjoyed getting to talk to him. Good luck this season, Coach. The first coach I talked to in the second session was Utah State's Blake Anderson. He came to Logan after becoming Arkansas State's all-time winning as coach and immediately led his team to the school's first ever Mountain West title. Last year wasn't as successful, finishing six and seven, but the Aggies are ready to rebound. Coach Anderson was super friendly and honest with everyone who asked him questions, and it was refreshing to see someone so clearly just telling it exactly like it is. I first asked Coach about his switch back to being the offensive coordinator, specifically how his game days will look different. Here's his incredibly candid answer. I mean, this is not the first time I've done both. I ran the offense as the head coach, coach of quarterbacks at Arkansas State in 17, 18. Been heavily involved my whole career, so I think trusting the guys that I'm working with Having Kyle Suffalo as my co-OC in the box upstairs. Been together basically 10 years now. We're finishing each other's sentences. We've been in every aspect of adjusting and changing and tweaking this offense and recruiting basically every piece. I just have to be super efficient with my conversations. Can't spend a ton of time. When we come off the field, I need to make adjustments quickly and then I need to get my head back in the game as a game manager. But I think having really good coaches in the room, guys that I trust that we have really good report, knowing what we want to do too. I mean, knowing what we want out of this offense, what the weapons can do. It's a challenge, there's no doubt, but I felt like it was the best way for me to impact where we wanted to go. Use all of our weapons, use all of the grass, play faster, and we've got to change the turnover ratio. We, we cannot turn the ball over at the pace that we have and be successful, not with our roster. So the best way for me to impact that was to step in and, and physically put my hands on it. Hopefully it'll pay off. For- my other question for Coach Anderson was about the wide receivers. Terrell Vaughn needs no interest 
production. He's one of the best slot receivers in the conference, but who else is going to help him and Cooper Legas out? Coach highlighted a few of the guys who he expects to step up. Daniel Rolls at wide out is a kid that only took a few snaps a year ago, but one of the fastest guys on our roster. AC guy that kind of needed all season last year to get his feet underneath. Had a great spring. Colby Bowman, a transfer, graduated from Stanford that's got two years left. Plug him in. Micah Davis, where you already talked about. Um, Booth in the running back room to go with Briggs. Tight end room. They were going to be more balanced across the board, not just at wide out, but just offensively and generally. One of my goals was to use all of our weapons and try to take the focus off of just one or two guys, and I think it will help a guy like Terrell. If we can balance the field out, make it a little bit bigger, I think that'll help him a lot. On paper, the Aggies aren't blowing anyone away, but they might have impressed me more than any other team during media days. They were all on the same page. Last year won't become a pattern. I'd expect this team to improve on both sides of the ball with an all-conference season from Ike Larson or Michael Anyanwu. They have Iowa Week 1, which is a heck of an opportunity for them to put their team on the map right away, and you might want to jump on the bandwagon now. The next coach I went up to was the legendary Jeff Tedford, the developer of seven first-round QBs. He came back to Fresno for another stint after retiring in 2019, and it started rough at 1-4, and four, but we all know what happened next. Tedford and the Bulldogs turned it around, won their final nine games, including the Mountain West Championship and the LA Bowl. Jay Kaner is now off to the NFL, so he'll have to start from scratch offensively, but the team overall has a lot of the pieces that lifted the trophy a few months ago. My first question was about his departed QB and how often they've been talking. Here's what he said. Well, he just reported three days ago, I believe. I talked to him about three days ago. He was reporting that night. I've, I've talked to him two or three times since he's been in OTAs and stuff, and he sent me some video. He's watching film in the film room, video, video on his phone, and send it to me. He's not asking my opinion. He's showing me how good he's looked. Surprise, huh? Look at this one. I ripped this one. I feel like, yeah, that was great. And I will continue to keep up with trying to give him encouragement and things like that, you know, and I'm always interested to see how it's going. My other question was also QB related. I wanted to hear from one of the 21st century's best quarterback developers. What do you look for in a quarterback film wise? What did Coach Sedford see in someone like Mikey Keene that tells him that guy's got it? Here's what he's got his eye on. Decision making be one don't turn football over. Mechanical consistency, sort of escape dimension, making the proper reads. Are they poised under pressure? Which you can't necessarily see on tape all the time, so that's something you have to kind of get into a little bit. What's their baseline or what's their knowledge of the whole thing? What system have they run? Have they been under the center and in shotgun or just in shotgun only? In what system? Are they a read team? Done. Do they throw bubble screens and screens, or do they actually throw the ball down the field to different levels? There's a lot to it. The important thing to remember about this team is that it's the same defense. They'll be one of the conference's best, no doubt, but the offense has so many components that are still shifting, like quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. The offensive line is top tier, by the way. Can Coach Tedford guide that group to greatness? That's a tough ask, and he did it last year. Who's to say he can't do it again? Coach Tedford was also super nice and really took his time with his answers, which is the sign of a man who knows his words hold weight. That surely applies to how he leads his team and tells me they'll be very good again this year. My last coach I had to interview this session was San Jose State's Brent Brennan. Of all the coaches, maybe the biggest smile out of everyone, just a really sweet, bubbly guy, and his program that was once a cellar dweller is now consistently in the top half of the conference. The conference title he delivered in 2020 is legendary and were a decent 7-5 last season behind a star-studded D-line and a high-powered offense. My first question was about replacing Junior Fajoko and Cade Hall, but actually focused 
focusing on D-line coach Joe Suomala. Here's his glowing review of his longtime assistant. You know, at one time, Fehoko and Kate all were unproven also. You know what I mean? Joe Suomala is one of the best D-line coaches in the country. They crossed over at Hawaii together. Then we were at Cal Poly together, San Jose State together. Then we were at Oregon State together and back at San Jose State together. So I think we're going on year 15, which is longer than a lot of marriages. And he's fantastic. And everywhere we've been, we've been awesome. When we were at Cal Poly, we led the nation in sack. We were at Oregon State, we led the nation in sack. It's like, it has been a consistent thing with him. He has a great way about him. Players would absolutely do anything for him. They love him. And he has a good eye for what he needs in recruiting and then how he's going to build it. I'm confident because he's there that what we have in that room will result in really good production. The other thing I wanted to ask Coach Brennan about was the offensive line. They started three redshirt freshmen last year and there were some rough patches, but that should pay dividends this season. I wanted to know if those guys were already leading like veterans, guys like Fernando Carmona Jr. He was very confident in this group. Here's what he's excited about. Oh, absolutely, Fernando. Fernando is, I would say, the unquestioned young leader on our whole team. Um, he is fantastic, but he's awesome, and he's going to be a great player. I'm excited to see that group continue to develop because they were just so young a year ago, so there were days where it was really good, and there were days where it was really hard, but you learn from those really hard days, and they got better as time went on, so I'm excited to see what that looks like when we get going next week. Coach Brennan has built quite the culture at San Jose State, and they're primed for another good year with preseason offensive player of the year, Chevin Cordiero, running the offense, and a defense that is a admittedly green around the ears, but still talented. They should make some noise this year. Coach Brennan was also super nice to me. I got to talk to him a few times outside of the interviews and just a guy you can see why players and coaches love him. As I went to lunch, I had talked to enough people that I felt better about introducing myself to people. So after I filled my plate, I saw Breck McMurphy a few feet away. For those of you that don't know, he's one of the best national college football beat writers in the country, and I've had his post notifications on since I was like 15. I said hello, and he was hilarious and super welcoming. He even followed me on Twitter. So yeah, it was pretty cool meeting one of my literal heroes. And then I sat down at a pretty empty table when Barry Odom and the UNLV SID sat down. It took me a few minutes to find the right moment, but I got to ask Coach Odom a few questions about the differences between the Mountain West media days and the SEC media days. Former Missouri head coach, if you weren't aware. He was friendly and open, which he didn't have to do, and told me a couple of great stories, like when his AD that hired him announced he was leaving for Baylor about two minutes before he was actually scheduled to appear. Thank you, coach. was so cool to talk to you. And actually, what a coincidence. He's the first coach I talked to after lunch. After getting to know Coach Odom at lunch, I figured I might as well interview him first. He was Missouri's head coach for four years and was most recently Arkansas's defensive coordinator before he took the UNLV job. He inherits a pretty solid roster with guys like Doug Brumfield, Ricky White, and a bunch of really good transfers, but they did only go five and seven last year. I first asked him about his recruiting philosophy and if if he expected to be as heavy into the transfer portal as he was this offseason. Here's what he said. There's going to be a really good balance, it would be my vision on how we're going to recruit. Number one, it's high school based, and then number two, because of either injury or transfer or development, we're going to be able to add some pieces within the portal, within junior college transfers, whatever that looks like, a, a college player that transfers to us to help improve our roster. And I, I would be a fool if I said, hey, we're going to sign this many high school guys and that many transfers because every year is going to be a little bit different but I want to make no mistake about it we're going to recruit the high schools and we're going to do that at the highest level that we can. My other question for coach Odom was about his overall expectations for this year. The official preseason poll had them at ninth but they also got one first place vote so that translates to who the heck knows. Here's what coach Odom expects his team to accomplish. My scope on that preseason poll it's it's exactly what we've earned up to this point. 
where we are. So if we want something different than that, then the process of the habits and the work and the preparation and then the opportunity to go compete for 12 opportunities, that's what I was mentioning early. We get to write the story on what that's going to be. Much respect for those that voted. Whoever voted our one first place vote, a lot of respect for you. The good thing is we get to go play the game. See how it plays out. I'm excited to take this group into 2023. It was a pleasure to talk to Coach Odom during this event. I was really impressed with how highly his players spoke of him. The Rebels should be a bowl team if everyone stays healthy, and who knows, maybe that one voter is right and they'll win the conference. Good luck to you this season, Coach. The next coach I spoke to was New Mexico's Danny Gonzalez. He's entering his fourth year as the head man, and he's only won seven games here so far, but they brought in a lot of new transfers, guys like Dylan Hopkins and plenty of other talented guys. That was my first question. How is Coach Gonzalez feeling about the bunch of new faces in the building, and how does he get them used to the culture? Here's what he had to say. No pull gates, offensive side of the ball, DJ Washington is a receiver, Caleb Medford receiver, Jeremiah Hicks, all those guys are talented young men that can help us. Gabe Lopez, the defensive lineman from Washington State. Demetrius Johnson from, he's a junior college All-American, at 41 total. We expect a bunch of them to come in and play and help. On defense, we lost some significant numbers statistic-wise, but we played a lot of guys on defense, so we've got a lot of experience there that it doesn't look like on paper that gives us a chance to continue down the path of going. My other question was similar to the one I asked Ken Wilson. Coach Gonzalez is entering his 25th year as a Lobo, so he's seen more New Mexico football than just about anybody. I asked for his top three Lobos he's been able to coach. Here's who he shouted out. First of all, would be Brian Erlacher, there's no doubt. He's an unbelievable player, both in the at UNM and and then for the Chicago Bears. A young man that was very significant to me by the name of Brandon Ratcliffe who played safety for us, who has since passed away. We did in 04. Unbelievable. He was, just, he was a great personality, great kid, and, and was one of the, on one of those defenses that was in the top 25. Nick Spiegel, who's a chiropractor in Albuquerque, played for the Cleveland Browns for several years after playing for us. He is the motto of toughness that we build our program around. I mean, he would play with separated shoulders. He'd play with you name three. He had it and played through it. We talk about to our guys all the time. I mean, if you're almost dead, we'll come get you off the field. Outside of that, you find your way to the sideline. And that was how he played. It's going to be a challenge for Coach Gonzalez to get to a bowl game, but as long as he can get to four wins, he should be safe for another year. This team has a lot of talent from the transfers to guys like Christian Washington and Dante Martin. And with how warm and welcoming Coach Gonzalez was to me, it's easy to see why players like him. I sincerely hope he figures it out in Albuquerque. Best of luck to you this season, Coach. I then went up to Coach Norvell, who was just as friendly as yesterday. He has had four winning seasons in a row at Nevada, then took the job at Colorado State last year. It was a rough first season, finishing 3-9, and nine, but it wasn't all bad. Several stars emerged for the future, including Tory Horton, Jack Howell, Chagosi Anusium, and Mohamed Kamara. They'll presumably push for a bowl game this season. My first question was about the linebacker room, which added Cal transfer Trey Pastor. Here's what he highlighted. I think we're going to be way more athletic. I think that's going to be a much improved room. I really love Trey Pastor. You know, I think we're more athletic and smart in that room. And still one of our, our rooms where we're still building more competition. Trey's a big shot in the arm for us coming in from Cal. And, you know, I think he's got an opportunity to really have a good year for us. My next question was about offensive lineman Tavis Tuoti, who switched from defensive tackle this spring to become the starting left guard. I was curious about how the switch happened and how he was adjusting. Turns out the switch was temporary. So I talked to Davis about, thought he was a third string defense tackle and I thought he could help us on offense and he did a good job in the spring, but he's going to move back to defense. He wanted to do that, so we're going to let him do that. My final question was a curveball.
Ball. For those who don't know, Jay's younger brother Aaron was also a ball player playing linebacker at Wisconsin. I asked him who was better. Yep, here we go. My brother? Oh, you don't want to compare me and my brother. He's a hell of a player. You know, we're six years apart. I had a chance. I went to Wisconsin, coached for five years, and I was a special teams coach. And I coached my brother. He was a linebacker, and I've been coaching 30-plus years. He might be the best kickoff cover guy I've ever been around. I mean, he really used to splatter people on kickoff coverage. And so I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> I love my brother. Great player, and he's one of my biggest supporters. It was so cool to meet Jay Norvell and get to introduce myself, and I really hope to get to meet him again soon. He's such a personality and truly a rising star in the conference. His team is the same way with Torrey Horton and Clay Millen ready to explode along with one of the conference's more talented defenses, on paper at least. They need to improve in a lot of aspects statistically, but with Coach Norvell steering the ship, things in Fort Collins should turn out alright. My final interview of the Third Circuit was Boise State's Andy Avalos. He's entering his third season as their head coach, obviously was already a BSU legend from his playing days, but he's a special coach as well. After a rough start, he put in Taylor Green at QB and turned the season around, going 8-0 in conference play before falling short in the championship against Fresno State. The team brings back almost everyone on offense, and the defense has a lot of veterans to fill the holes. I first asked Coach Avalos about the wide receiver room. They are one of the deepest units in the entire conference, with five guys who could put together an all-conference type season. Here's what he had to say about his expectations for that group. With bar gets raised now, okay, I mean, how we compete, how we train, how we run routes, how we get ourselves in shape to run every route with intent and explosiveness, that's the identity we want. And so, again, because of our strength and conditioning plan and the work we've been able to get done with it, on top of identifying what people do well and how they do it, creates a certain level of confidence and mentality. You know, we're really excited. we got some guys with length, we got some guys with speed, we got some guys that know how to go up and attack the ball, and we got some guys that want to compete and they want to work hard. I'll tell you like this too. We got guys on our team that play wide receiver that want to block. They want to block too. And that says something special about that room. They also wanted to ask about how the defensive line was coming along. They need to replace a couple of starters, so I was wondering what players were sticking out to him as leaders. Here's who he's focused on. Ahmed's going to be an impactful player. Herb Gums, obviously, has proven and has done it. Braxton Philly's really going to step up and fulfill a huge role. He had a great spring. Dimitri's obviously, he's going to have his best year. He's in the best shape he's ever been. He's the strongest, he's the fastest he's been. You know, we got guys like Cortez, Gabe played a lot last year. Jaden Virgin is another guy on the edges. We've got guys, Mike Callahan is back and this is healthy and we write that he's been playing with a great spirit and great attitude. And obviously we've been able to add some guys. And we spoke about Howard, Sheldon, and some of the guys interiorly that we've got to have some depth inside to be successful in college football. So we're really glad to get in camp and see how these guys respond competing against each other. My last question for Coach Avalos was how often he gave anecdotes from his playing days to his players or if he avoided that to focus on the fundamentals. He gave a really thoughtful answer about the rapport between his players and coaches. It depends on what the situation calls for. If we got experience to draw from or, I mean, it, it depends if the guy needs a hug. Understanding teacher, coach, mentors, being understanding, working to care more about what that person needs to go for them and using whatever methods can to help them. The cool part is too is that our players actually do that for us. For us as coaches, like, we got players that help us, so we got a pretty special team, so we're very grateful to not only have it be a one-way growth process, but our guys help them. Coach Avalos is another guy who has a real energy surrounding him. He's poised, confident, but also clearly sensitive when the moment calls for it. He's one of the reasons why the Broncos are heavy preseason favorites, and I can't wait to 
see what they are capable of. For the final circuit of the event, I began with the legendary Troy Calhoun. Coach Calhoun got the head coaching job at Air Force in 2007 and has consistently had the toughest team in the Mountain West. He hasn't been able to win a conference title yet, but he's gone 34-11 and 11 in the last four years and won four straight bowl games. They have to replace Brad Roberts and Hazeek Daniels, but the offensive line and defense are as solid as they come. I first asked Coach Calhoun about the search to replace Roberts' production and who he expected to see time at fullback. Here's what he had to say. Boyce doesn't only have one guy get a gigantic part of the yeah. carries. He was just really that unique of a player. You know, as we came out of the spring, the three guys that probably had the most reps there were Jed Harris, Owen Burke, or Dylan Carson got most of them, and then probably the other one was John Lee Eldridge played some of that. Really spent most of spring at that position. I don't know if that's necessarily what we'll do this season. My next question was about his opinion on his cornerbacks, which is the only defensive position that could be considered a weakness. Here's where Coach Calhoun is at. Well, certainly the things that we want to do is we want guys that will, will get up there and really, really get involved with receivers. We do not want our guys playing 10 yards off unless it's purely for a situational purpose. So we'll get into it. You know, there's whether it's Corey Collins or Trey Williams or Levi Brown or Jamari Bell. I mean, there's some guys that will do a good job there. My final question was about his goals for his team this season. Was it conference championship or bust, or were they going one game at a time, day by day? Here's what Coach Calhoun had to say about his team's stance. It has not been a focus, and it won't be a focus. For us, what we'd like to do is, is we have to improve. You know, you look, I think anytime you lose a quarterback that had that many starts, three-year starter, how we lost like maybe five of our top six rushers. We lost our most talented receivers to Amari Terry, the big plays that he makes against Army or in the bowl game against Baylor. David Cormier, the huge play that he made against Navy. Just the significant catches that he made against Army. We have a lot that we have to replace there. And I think defensively, we had three tremendous players. Chris Herrera. It's rare we get a 6'5 guy that ends that well as Chris did. The defensive tackle. T.D. Blackman, his leadership as one of our captains and his sheer productivity, especially in service academy games. And then Vince Sanford. I think Vince Sanford and Jordan Jackson might have been two of the best players that we've had at the Air Force Academy on the defensive side of the ball in the last maybe 18, 20 years. I was thinking back, if we ever had something like this, and no team, no two teams are ever the same, and we did. After our 2012 season, we had a rusher, Cody Getz, that was one of the best in the nation. Trying to replace him, we had some really, really good players on defense, Brian Lindsay and Alex Means, we had to replace him in our next year. That was a real challenge, so it took us a while for our program to get back on footing to be able to become a bowl team. That may be the case with where we are now, too, just like it was 10 years ago. Getting to talk with Coach Calhoun was insanely cool. You can tell how knowledgeable and disciplined he is. He was super nice and open and one of the most pleasurable interviews I had the opportunity to be a part of. The Falcons have to figure out where their points will come from, but top to bottom, they're one of the best teams in the conference, no doubt about it. And my very last interview of the media days was the one and only Timmy Chang. After one of the greatest playing careers in college football history, he got into coaching and spent four years as an assistant at Nevada before he was hired as the Rainbow Warriors' new showrunner. The first year was a struggle, no doubt, but he's the right man for the job. No one knows and loves the islands as much
much as Coach Chang. He's charismatic, intelligent, and relatable, which is surprising for such a legend. My first question was about his expectations and the reality of his first season as head coach. Here's what he said about Hawaii's 3-10 and campaign. As you take the job, not ever having quickly um, what has to be done. I, I really benefited from being from the state, uh, having played in, in that pro in the program that I and, and knowing the people and knowing what it took to win, knowing play ball at a high level, those things all helped. But the thing is that you just you never know the problems until you, you start to go in your day by day and trials and errors and, and things. But you know you, you quickly go into problem solving mode and you know you figure it out. You know what it takes to win. If, you, if you've been around winners and you're a winner yourself, you know what it's going to take. It's going to take you know some of the basic necessities of life: hard work, discipline, keeping the people accountable. So you, you rely on those things, and then you make sure the most the most important things, your staff and your and your guys on your roster, are taken care of and, and doing the right things every day to to kind of to win. I also wanted to ask him about the boost his team will get from the Ching Complex, their temporary home until the larger project is complete or later in the decade, adding 6,000 more seats. Here's what he said. Anytime you can get more fans in there, be a, a great atmosphere, be a little bit more rowdy, ruckus, those are always home field events. Turned out really good, has a cool, cool feel, nice billboard went up, kind of wrapped around, closed off the track, you know, a little bit high on another side. And really, when you look at it, you almost want to close off the whole thing and, and add in a couple more thousand seats or, or box seats and, and those type of things but very very happy with it i know my guys are excited to play in it my final question was about how he's teaching the run and shoot to Braden shager he ran the system to perfection when he was a player and i had to know what his tips are for his qb here's his process a lot of it is the timing the rhythm the eyes what he's looking at what he's trying to get the tells the looking at the defenses things that i found that helped me when i was playing when i was throwing the ball is the same things i'm giving him is the same little details, the same little trick, and then he's got to go out there and do it and see it himself. And practice is really, it's just really about repetition and doing it over and over and over. The more he does it, the more he sees it. You know, and sometimes, you know, making errors is part of it, right? During an interception, trying to squeeze the ball into a hole, you know, maybe it's not there. Okay, maybe just take that one. That's what that looked like. Hey, it's better if I just go there. And so by trial and error, sometimes I could tell him, whatever it is, we'll just watch the film and try to get better the next day. It was such a cool experience to meet Coach Chang and get to know him a bit, and I can't wait to see what he does at his alma mater over the next few years. He's added a ton of talent from the portal, namely Cam Stone, and has a lot of young stars like Tylen Hines and Peter Manuma. They may not get to a bowl game yet, but they're going to play hard and surprise a lot of people this year. With my work for the event all done, I took out a $20 bill from the ATM at the hotel and decided to see how long it would last at a video game blackjack machine. Spoiler alert, it was only an hour, but I was up one whole dollar at one point. Vegas, baby. So I walked back to the elevator, just super happy about how well the whole event went, when the door opens and who else is in the elevator but New Mexico coach Danny Gonzalez. Hi coach, I say, and he goes, hey Jack, what's up? I told him about my betting woes and we laughed about it before I got to my floor. I said, great to meet you coach and good luck this season. The door closed and I took a few steps before I realized I didn't have a name tag on me. He remembered my name. I don't think I even formally introduced myself to him and I'm 6'5", so I guess I'm recognizable, but still, are you kidding me? I thought the event couldn't get any better and somehow it did. 
Don't know if I've ever been happier than I was in the five minutes afterwards, bouncing around my hotel room in glee. I flew back to New Jersey the next day, had a bit of a baggage mishap, but other than that, the entire event went off without a hitch. Thank you to Mountain West Connection for allowing me the platform that got me to that event, and thank you to everyone who's listened so far. Lots more content to come, I promise. That's it for this episode of the Hikes Peak Podcast. Thank you so much for coming back to the mountain. Make sure to make the back here next Tuesday for another brand new episode. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to go back and listen to our previous episodes. They're just as informative. And also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the show five stars. Nothing helps the show out more than that. So any ratings would be greatly appreciated. Follow us on Twitter at MWC Connection and find all of your Mountain West news at MWCConnection.com. Thank you again for listening. It is truly an honor to make this show for you guys. Until next time, I'm Jack Thompson, a.k.a. the guy from the elevator. Enjoy your life.